0: You are listening to a message from the Living Word Community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Uh, Good morning. It's funny, Ted just like... Shared a little bit about what I was going to share today, actually. So, which is, you know, he didn't even know. Didn't even know. Uh, sorry. Had to put a new um, uh, mic holder up here, and it's a little, st- it's a little tighter than the, than the old one. <laughs> the old one was easier to take off, but that's okay. Uh, so how's everyone doing this morning? Yeah, Amen. Amen. But yeah, Ted was like just talking about what I was going to share. So I guess I better not say anything then, right? No, but um, why don't we pray? Dear Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for how good you are. We thank you for how great you are, Lord God. And and uh, we just, just lift you up this morning. We thank you for um, just being able to be here. Lord, people, I've haven't seen here in a while, Lord. I see today, Lord God, and I just want to uh, just give you praise and honor. I thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, so how many people like waiting for stuff? Waiting, waiting for stuff. <laughs> see, we, we live in a, in a world of uh, instant gratification, and we love to get what we want, and we would love to get it now you know, <laughs> you know, we want it all, and we want it now, right? And, um, but we hate waiting, we hate waiting, and, uh, but it's good to wait, you know, we waited for a long time for different things, we waited for a long time for our sister to come back and, and be with us, and she's here today, so love you, hey sweetie, Is Laney's here today, so, which is great, and um, it's good to see her here, we waited a long time for her to come back, Right? Amen? Um, from Italy. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it was so good to see her this morning, So which is great. Um, but for the past few years, uh, I've been waiting on the Lord for some things, right? And to be honest with you, just to be honest, you know, I felt a little frustrated that answers were not coming more quickly. And how many people have felt that way? You know, the answers don't come as quickly as we want. And I know God is omnipotent, and, you know, so if he answers, if the answer is not coming, you know, it's not because he, he's unable to do it, right? He could do anything. You know, the problem is not too big for God, not too big for him to solve. And, you know, he made my body, you know, he can certainly heal my body. You know, he created all the wealth in the world, right, by his word. word. And he can certainly meet and has met all of my financial needs. You know, my mortgage payment is, is not too big a problem for him to solve. You know, my relationships aren't too, too complex for him to fix. You know, you know, is anything too hard for God? No. no, right? But here I am waiting on him for answers and wondering what's up, you know? Why the delay? What's taking so long? And uh, I know we all feel that way at times. Well, we probably feel that way all the time, right? <laughs> but, but then this week, we read Isaiah 30. And it's, it's interesting because I was, you know, tasked to preach when I wasn't in the meeting. So, which is good. We, we kind of do that to each other. Uh, if someone's not there, we'll, we'll volunteer them to preach, on, you know, but, uh, but it's Okay. And uh, so I've known for a few weeks that I had to preach, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to preach on? What am I going to preach on? It's been such, yeah, it was, it's been a struggle, you know, trying to figure out. But then this week, we read Isaiah 30. And as I read that chapter, I suddenly saw something that I've never really seen there before. You know, the critical verse in this passage is verse 18. So follow with me as I read, Okay. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are, are, are all who wait for him. you are blessed to wait for him. It's funny because like you look at different versions of the, of the Bible. And the amplified version, which some people read, some people don't, which is fine. You know it says therefore the Lord waits earnestly and longs to be gracious to you and therefore he 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 waits on high to have compassion on you for the Lord is is a god of justice blessed or happy or unfortunate for, are all those who long for him since he will never fail them that's what the amplified version says up there it's probably new The NIV is up there. That was the first one I read. So when I read the first sentence in that that verse, I I realized the possibility that that more than, than me waiting for God, or waiting on God, God is waiting on me. God is waiting on me, right? So it says, like, therefore, Carl, the Lord waits earnestly and longs to be gracious to you. That's a different perspective, isn't it? It's a different way of thinking. You know, I'm painfully aware when I'm waiting for something, right? Waiting on God for something. Not nearly so aware that, that God will be waiting on me. And why would God need to wait for anything, you know? And that's the heart of this message. But first, we must talk about how God waits. How God waits. You know, we have um, Many windows uh, into how, God's wait, how God waits in the scriptures. You know, look at his interaction with, with Jonah, right? God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes the other direction, to Tarshish, right? He makes his, he makes his, own, desi- his own decision about where he will go. God actively waits on Jonah to come around. <laughs> he sends a storm, Right? Then he he sends a fish to to swallow him up, swallow him whole, right? You know, in the midst of all that trouble, Jonah calls out to the Lord, and the Lord delivers him. God is patiently uh, bringing Jonah around. You know, Jonah preaches to Nineveh, and the city repents. And instead of rejoicing in their salvation, Jonah is upset with God right? He's upset with God. Now, this is the all-powerful God who could have just said, Jonah, I'm done with you. I'm sick and tired of your, of your attitude. We're done. That's it. But what does God do? He reasons with Jonah. So, in fact, the book ends with, with God waiting on Jonah to come around. That's how the book ends. When God revealed himself to Moses, in Exodus 34, 6, you know, he emphasizes his, his own willingness to wait. And he and it says, in uh, verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's what's called out before the Lord as he's passing in front of Moses. Where would we be today if God was not slow to anger? Where would we be? Do we have any Jonas in the house? You get mad at, you know, because, you, know, you know. Peter reminded the believers of his day. He says in, 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 in 2 Peter 3 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's how it is in this passage, of, in God's dealing with this people, the is, uh, people of Israel. He, he waits. God waits. It says, therefore, the Lord waits earnestly and longs to be gracious to you. Notice the description of how God waits. It says earnestly in, in the, in the uh, Amplified Version. Earnestly. You know, he, he's emotionally involved in the process. He does not sit back, you know, coldly and waits to bless us. You know, he doesn't sit there with his arms crossed or whatever. You know, he's earnest in his desire to bring good in our lives. You know, like, he's more earnest about bringing blessing to our life than I am about receiving it. You know, I'm, I'm earnest about, uh, in my desire to receive God's blessing, but never, never think that God is indifferent about your matter. He's not indifferent about it at all. You know, he sent his own son to suffer and die for our blessing. His intention towards you is to bless. You know, Paul asked the question in Romans 8, you know, he goes, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, uh, graciously give us all things? God waits earnestly to answer our prayers. He does. God waits expectantly as well. God is extremely hopeful about you and me. He will not force us to serve him. He won't force it on us. He won't, he won't turn us into robots or anything like that. You know, he will work in our lives with the expectation of bringing us into the fullness of his purpose and blessing. You know, in the parable of the prodigal son, just like Ted was just sharing, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a picture of, you can picture the father you know, who is a representative of our heavenly Father, looking and longing and hopeful um, when uh, uh, towards his child's response to him, right? In Luke 15, 1520, uh, that's what Deb was uh, reciting from earlier. You know, describes the event when the prodigal is was returning to the Father, and it says. Um, so it says, but but while he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, that father was earnestly, expectantly looking and longing for that day. That's why he saw him coming from when, even when he was a long way off. So, now, here in Isaiah 30, 30 it's about 700 B.C., Right? They have a big problem to solve. Assyria is the most powerful empire in the world. It's poised to attack Israel. There's n- <laughs> this is no small problem. You know, it's, it's, it's got to be solved. So what are we going to do? A problem in our, you know, a problem in our lives is, is always a test, right? In that we have to decide how we're going to resolve it. Now, in our text... We want to talk. Uh, we want to talk uh, about why God has has to wait. Notice that in, in verse eighteen begins with the word yet or therefore. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, the Lord waits earnestly and longs to be gracious with you. You know, if we if we look at verse that that word yet, we can we can point to the previous seventeen verses and we can see you know, why God waits there in those 17 verses, right? So read along with me. So it says in Isaiah 30, this is, we're reading a lot today, but that's okay. It's the word of God, amen? Starting in verse 1. Woe to, you, to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. We could probably just stop there right that 's me right <laughs> so <laughs> to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance uh, but not in my but not but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin who who go down to egypt consulting without consulting me with, who look to help to who look for help to to Pharaoh to Pharaoh's protection, to e- Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be, no, uh, will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan, and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of the people uh, useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev through the, through the land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses and, and adders and darting snakes. The envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to the unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore I call her Rahab, the do-nothing. Go now, write, to the, write on the tablet for them, Inscribe it on the scroll that, you, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the, to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of, of what is right. Tell, the, the pleasant, tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Leave this way, get off, the, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is, this is what the Holy, Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied upon, on oppression, and de- depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its uh, pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from the earth, uh, from, a, for, from an earth, from a hearth, sorry, uh, or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel says, and repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountain tide, uh like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are are all who wait for him. So what is the Lord waiting for? What is God waiting for? He's waiting for his people to come around to to his way of doing things. He's waiting for them to have a change of heart. You know, all of the difficulties and judgments woven into the, uh, into the first 17 verses are not designed to punish but to turn the people around towards God. That's what they're designed to do. You know, first we have to realize that Isaiah is not talking to the Assyrians. He's not talking to them. He's not talking to the Egyptians. He's, talking, he's not talking to pagans. He's talking to God's own people. You know, he even refers to them as rebellious or obstinate children. You know, second, these people probably don't see themselves this way. They don't see themselves that way. They went to church every week, right? They did some good things, (laughs) maybe donated to the Salvation Army and gave a turkey away to a needy family, you know. If they had already seen themselves in that light, you know there there would be no need for god to to send isaiah to say these these things to him to them you know they felt that they were god's people you know people of covenant abraham's seed you know in isaiah fifty eight three, you know the uh, god's people are baffled that god is <laughs> is not answering their prayers and you know in the, in, that, in that in that verse is, is, he goes they go on to say he says why have we fasted you know he says, why, have they, have we, why are we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? You know, why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? You know? In that chapter, and the one that follows, God explains to them what they're doing wrong. The same thing is true in, in Jesus' day. You know, the Pharisees saw themselves as, as defenders of the truth and the, and the representative of God himself. As a Pharisee. Paul, or Saul at that time when he was a Pharisee, you know, saw himself as doing God a service as he persecuted the church, as he went around and killed people. He was doing God a service. And in Isaiah 30, pro- the prophet is talking uh, to the people who feel they have simply taken the only reasonable course available to them. Assyria was, is, is way too strong for them. They they couldn't defend against him, right? The problem is beyond my my own resources. If I go to Egypt for help, if I look to the world for answers, I might have a chance. That's what they're saying here. So here's briefly, you know, uh, uh, the mistakes that, that God points out to his people in Isaiah 30. It says that you're being an obstinate or self-willed in the way you're conducting your life. You're being obstinate or self-willed. If you're not asking me what to do, you're simply looking at the problem, sizing it up, looking at possible solutions, picking the option that looks most promising, right, and proceeding out of your own natural thinking. That's what we're doing. In Proverbs 3, you know, 5 and 6, everyone knows this verse. It says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. The problem, the problem is with many Christians, you know, Christians, we fall into, you know, it, it, you know we, we probably apply this verse in this way. You know, trust in the Lord with some of your heart, maybe trust God 50%, you know, my own solutions 50%, right? And don't lean too much on your own understanding. In some of your ways, submit to him, especially on Sunday morning, right? But business is business. You know, you have to, you know, handle that differently, you know? And now, since I'm a child of God, I have assurance that he will direct my path. You know, the word all is crucial in this promise of Proverbs 3. All. So I have no doubt in my mind that people in Isaiah 30 were doing some good things. And they would have have never described themselves the way that Isaiah describes them in in the first 17 verses of Isaiah 30. Number two, you know, they were not trusting God with their problem. God had given them a way to victory. In Isaiah 30, 15, it says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You have none of it. You've got to come to me with your problems. We you have to go to the Lord with our problems. Egypt may look like a solution. But I see, I, see what Egypt, I see Egypt as it really is, a do-nothing fraud. That's what the world is. You know, we put, when, when, when push comes to shove, Egypt or the world will be no help to us at all. No help to us at all. You know, God is waiting for these people to look to him as, as their resource. He's waiting, longing for them to make that choice so that he can bless them. He's longing for us to make that choice so that he can bless us. Why does does God have to wait before he blesses people? Why? If he sent a blessing without their repentance, it would only drive them further into deception. It would only drive them further into deception. You know, Uh, if he rescued them while they were, were trusting Egypt instead of him, they would think that, that was the way to live. If I, if I went out tomorrow and poured sand in my gas tank and God miraculously made, it, made my car work perfectly, I would think that, you know, the way to keep my car going is, a, is to put sand in my gas tank, right? And if it were reinforced over and over, I would become more and more convinced that's the way to do it. The way, life, the way life works right in this life, you know, and in eternity, is by uh, depending on God as your source. We need to depend on God as our source. It, it says if we, if we abide by the vine, if we live in the vine, if you draw on God's power and grace, it will work. If you rely on, your, on our own strength or the resources of the world has the author, in the long run, it won't work. They put their trust in the wrong place. And thirdly, you know, they decided they didn't want to hear the truth at all. They didn't want to hear the truth at all. Isaiah 30, uh, 10 10 and 11 says, (laughs) they say to the seers, see no more visions. Right? Here they're not necessarily coming out and saying that. You know, they're making the statement by the choices that they make, though. They, they don't like those negative sermons. Sorry. You know, not sorry. Um, I, I need to hear something uplifting. You know, I need to be encouraged, not criticized. So, well, I'm, I'm going to go to this church over here instead. That's what people do. Of course, the world, the, the word of, because the, the word of God does build us up. It does. But it doesn't flatter us at all doesn't flatter us. In fact, the rest of verse 10 says that the people wanted, all the people wanted was flattery, not correction. In verse 10, it says, (laughs) they say to the seers, see no more visions. And the prophets give no more visions of what's right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions, right? Build up my self-esteem. Tell me it's okay I'm living immorally, you know, and cheating on my, in my taxes, or uh, stealing from my job, or whatever it might be. You know, God understands, and, and he loves me so much that it doesn't matter what I do. This is a great deception of our day. You no, know, a lawless spirit is marching through the land, you know, and the church's own lawlessness has opened the door for it. You know, verse 11 says, leave this way. Get off this path, you know. We want to hear about self-denial and commitment. No, we don't want to hear about that stuff. And stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. We don't want to hear about God's holiness. You know, highlight holy in that, in that passage if you can. Circle it, whatever you want to do. You're not telling the preacher to stop preaching, you know, not talking about the, lo- the, the, the loving one or the merciful one or the forgiving one. But if, when you hold up before them the holy one, then we start feeling guilty about, our, about some of the things we keep doing. First Peter, you know, 1, 15 to 16 says, it makes application, you know, for us. And it says, but just as he who called you to be is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is a message that's less and less tolerated in our society. After all, you know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, told us that there are many ways to heaven and God's love will get us through, right? For people who read the read their Bible, her gospel sounds really good. It sounds really good. She never holds up the Holy One of Israel as a standard. Hers is, is a very reassuring, feel-good message. The one big problem is that it's simply not true. It's just not true. The measurement of a message is not whether it feels good, but does it line up with the revelation of truth God has given in his word. Amen. Anyway, um, it was a major problem uh, for the people, of, uh, of the people in Isaiah 30 because when you re- remove yourself from truth, You remove yourself from God because he is the way, amen, the truth and the life. You know, when you no longer want to be confronted with the Holy One of Israel, you know, you you no longer have the avenue for repentance and entrance into blessing. Then God has to let the consequences of those decisions correct the thinking. He has to let the consequences of what they do be the correction. But it says, therefore, the Lord earnestly waits earnestly earnestly and longs to be gracious to you. The world thinks that that if God waits, then he must really be ticked off and and must be waiting for a chance to, you know, smack somebody upside their head or something. But the truth is, if God, God wants to smack somebody in the head, you know, he doesn't have to wait. He doesn't have to ask anybody if it's OK. You know? <laughs> he doesn't have to check with the committee. He doesn't have to. He's God, and he can lay a smack down anytime he wants to, anytime he wants to. But the world doesn't understand the heart of God. It doesn't understand the heart of God. He doesn't wait for an opportunity to destroy. He waits for an opportunity to bless. His attitude is revealed towards his uh, even rebellious children in, in verse 18. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Get the picture? God is longing to bless. He rises up on his tiptoes. You know, looking for the moment when his people position themselves to receive his blessing. He's he's longing to resolve your problems. In in this case, he's longing to defend them from their enemy, Assyria. To show himself strong in behalf of his people. For the Lord is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And when they get it right with him, when they get when they get it right with him and truly look to him, he will execute justice on their behalf. So we're going to read some more. So follow with me as as we read the rest of the chapter. Okay? This is the opportunity that God was waiting for, the opportunity to bless. So in verse starting in verse 19, people of Zion who live in Jerusalem. Who, who, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. Hmm. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. Your, yeah, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you will turn... <laughs> Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Then you will uh, desecrate your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth uh, and say to them, Away with you. He will also send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground. And the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in, in, in broad meadows. The oxen and donkeys that work up the soil will eat fodder and mash, spread out with fork and shovel. In the, in the day of great slaughter, when the towers fall, streams of water will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon will shine like the sun. And the sunlight will be uh, seven times brighter, like the light of seven full days, when the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar, with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath, and his tongue is a consuming fire. His breath is like a rushing torrent rising up to the neck. He shakes the nations in the, uh, in the sieve of destruction. He places in the jaws of the peoples a bit that leads them astray. And you will sing as, the night, as, as on the night you celebrate a holy festival. Your heart will rejoice as when people playing pipes go up to the mountain of, Israel, of the Lord, the rock of Israel. To the rock of Israel. The Lord will cause people to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging, raging anger and consuming fire with, with cloud bursts and thunderstorm and hail. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria with his rod. He will strike them down Every stroke the Lord says that lays on them with his, punish, his punishing club will be, the, uh, will be to the music of timbrels and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. Toph, Topheth uh, has long been prepared. It has, has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an, with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. Amen. Now come back with me to the key factor in the shift of, God, um, uh, of God's people from a position of correction, you know, from the Lord in verses 1 through 17 to a position of blessing from the Lord in verses 18 to 33. Beginning with the latter, the, the latter half of, uh, uh, of verse 18, it says, For the Lord is a, is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. This is what we're, uh, we're waiting for uh, in one form or another in our lives. For his victory, for his favor, his love, his peace, his joy, his matchless, unbroken companionship. That alone is like you know, outline for a great sermon, right? God's victory, His favor, His love, His peace, His joy, His matches, unbroken companionship. Hmm. Whatever you're waiting on for God, can definitely fall in that description somewhere. But here's an interesting parallel. In Isaiah thirty eighteen, you know, God's waiting and us waiting. You know, waiting for us to get positioned for an outpouring of the Father's blessing. You know, blessed are those who earnestly wait for him. I want that blessing. Amen? You know, blessed are, are those who earnestly wait for him, who expect and look and long for him. You no, know, do we expect and look and long for him for that blessing? That is a certain kind of waiting that we should be participating in. It's not a passive waiting. You know, in earnest, it's engaged, it's 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 expectant. You know, it's it's a waiting that is looking for looking to God for the answer. You know, the first part of the of the next verse is a central part of it too. In Isaiah 19 it says people of Zion who live in in Jerusalem you will weep no more how gracious he will be when you cry for help how often do we cry for help are we crying for help you know as soon as he hears he will answer you that's what the verse says when God brought me to brought me to Isaiah 30 you know I didn't realize that he would be driving home once again the theme of everything he has said to me the last three years. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. We need to cry out to God for help. Are there unanswered prayers in your life? Are there problems to be solved? Are there unrealized blessings? How gracious he will be when you cry for help. When God spoke to me, you know, from that verse in this chapter, you know, my response was, you know, but I've been crying out to you, Lord. I have been crying out to you, you know, with an unusual level of earnest. At least I thought, you know. Now, I have been seeking you. But he alone knows when uh, the cry is what it ought to be. He knows that. Only he knows that. And what he expects from one person may not be the same what he expects from another. To whom much is given, much is required, right? You know, the bottom line, he, he decides when the cry is what it ought to be for me. He decides that. He knows when the cry, my cry, is a cry that it ought to be. I'm not saying that prayers or crying out to God earn us anything. It doesn't. I'm saying that that God is, for for many of us, waiting and longing to bless us beyond our wildest dreams. He's waiting to hear our cry. What is God wanting from you, you know, in terms of, of, of crying out to him? What is it? That's between you and him. I don't know what that is. That's between you and him. But what I see in this text is this. There's a crying out to God that addresses the issues in our own hearts at levels that positions us to receive blessings we long for. That make sense? Let me repeat that. You know, uh, there's a crying out to God that addresses the issues in our own hearts at a level that positions us to receive blessings, we lo- the blessings we long for. You know, in Jeremiah 29, right? We love to read Jer- Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know, because I know the you know, plans I have for you, blah, 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 da, 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 you know. But then in verse 12 and 13, he says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But when? When you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When we seek him with all of our heart. You know, when, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, it says in, in Jonah 2, it says, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, for, to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the, to the Lord, and he answered me. In his distress, he called to the Lord. In the distress of his circumstances, Jonah cried out or prayed a prayer that God heard and answered. You know, there's a, a, a powerful contrast in this chapter between the correction God gives his self-willed obstinate children, you know, described in the first 17 verses, you know, in contrast with the wrathful punishment unleashed to the, on the wicked, you know, in verses 27 to 33. Because it's, like, basically split up. There's, like, the first 17 verses. There's, like, the blessing was 18 to, like, 26, and then there's like the wrath that he pours out on Assyria, you know, in, in, chapter, in verses 27 to 33. Most of the affliction Israel experiences is simply the, a consequence of their bad actions. That trouble is redemptive. It's redemptive. It's designed to bring them to their senses, right, rather than destructive. God wants to bring us to our senses, great great verse is, you know, Romans, uh, it's in Romans 2, and it talks about it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's what leads us to repentance. You know, <laughs> Isaiah 30 is like a very interesting passage, It's a very interesting, interesting passage of Scripture, and it's a representative of God's overall dealings with the nation of Israel. You know, He corrects Israel to purity, uh, to purify them, sorry. He corrects them to purify them. But correction is not rejection. We always think that correction is, is rejection. This world tells us that correction is rejection, but it's not. In the end, God will defend his chosen, his chosen nation against their enemies. The same pattern of redemptive correction occurs in the lives of believers today. Amen. Why don't we pray? Want to pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for who you've called us to be. And Lord, I just um Lord, I thank you for your correction. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that most of all, Lord, that you're waiting for us, Lord, that you are waiting, Lord, expectantly and earnestly to bless us, to bless your people. Though we think that you don't hear us. What you do. I thank you, Lord, that you're waiting, Lord, to rise up, to show us compassion, ready, waiting to rise up to bless your people. But Lord, thank you, Lord, that you're ready. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would make us a people who cry out to you and look to you, Lord God, as our source. Look to you, Lord God, as our help instead of the things of this world. It's so easy to look to the world for solutions. but so much better when we look to you. Lord, may we be a people, Lord, who look to you for everything. For everything, Lord, in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you guide us, Lord God. And you take us on the path, Lord, that you want us to go. So, Lord, I just pray that you would just bless everyone here. Bless everyone here, Lord God. Bless everyone, Lord, on Zoom who's who's listening to this sermon. Lord Jesus, Lord, we need you, Lord, more than we need the things of this world. We need you, Lord, more than we need anything else. So, Lord, we just give ourselves to you. In your precious name, amen.